Thanks for joining us for this inspirational teaching by Pastor Jeffrey Smith, Senior Pastor of City of Life Church. For more information on City of Life, visit www.col.tv. Let's join the service already in progress. You know, Elvis Presley, when, when my dad and mom try to tell me the way Elvis was perceived like when, when they were young, they say, take everything that you've ever heard, everything you know about Justin Bieber, everything you know about Justin Timberlake, uh, Michael Jackson, multiply at times a million. And that's the way that people felt about Elvis at that time. Because up until that time in music, at least here in the United States, you know, the big stars of the day were sort of like Italian crooners, sort of like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, those types of guys. Uh, and it, it was sort of like a, um, a brand new thing to see a guy up there dancing and moving around and actually singing a lot of R&B, sort of like African-American or black, like blues music. That's what Elvis kind of did is he took those songs and did more pop versions and he danced. And uh, it just sort of created sort of a cultural icon uh, in Elvis. And I think, you know, Amy and I were watching some documentaries about Elvis as I was kind of doing some research for today. And we started realizing that there was like an average of 500 people that would faint at each of his concerts. Uh, so they had to bring paramedics there. People, the response that people had to him was so next level. And I mean, there's this thing called like the Church of Elvis, uh, where they have like a religion that's to Elvis. There are people that stand outside Graceland uh, dressed, you know, as Elvis, like every single day. Uh, when, when he died, there were nonstop vigils for years. There are some people that didn't think he died. They think he's still alive, like Jesus or something like that. Uh, so I think that Elvis is a good example of how some someone that is a, a great person, just a nice guy, you know, just a kid that grew up in... Uh, you know, Mississippi and Tennessee, you know, used, used his talent to do some things, how you can kind of overdo it. You could take something that's good and turn it into something that's sort of an unhealthy obsession. Would you agree with that? And that's possible to do that with things in life. So today I'm going to take that concept of idols and I'm going to um, use our fun hound dog <laughs> as sort of a transition into a, a, a deeper subject that maybe we struggle with in our modern day and age, but we don't think that we struggle with. So today, that's what I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to read right out of Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 6. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. It says, You may worship no other god than me. You shall not make yourself any idols, no images of idols, birds or fish. You must never bow or worship in any way, for I, the Lord your God, am very possessive, and I will not share your affection with any other god. I'm going to talk to you today about the idea of idols, idols. Father, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for every person that's in this room. Thank you for this moment where we got to ordain uh, these two dynamic uh, young people that are gonna do great things for the kingdom. I pray that this would be a hope-filled service, uh, that any of us that are struggling with something that we can't let go of, uh, we can't do it on our own. I pray we would admit that we can't do it on our own and give control to the person of the Holy Spirit and you would help us be able to do what we cannot do by ourselves. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I speak that hope and life over everyone here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so in Exodus chapter 20, this idea that you can't have any other gods before me and you're not allowed to make anything or turn anything into an idol for yourself. I think the reason that we never worry about these two Commandments, they're not suggestions, they're not the great suggestions, they're the Ten Commandments, they're not the Ten Suggestions. I think the reason that we don't think that this applies to us is because none of us go home and have 
you know, a totem pole in our living room, uh, and very few, or at least very few people have a totem pole in their living room and are bowing down, you know, every time they walk in and like addressing each God by name. Uh, very few people have a carved image on your wall that you go in and, and you worship when you walk in. So you don't think that, or we don't think that idolatry is a problem in modern culture because the idols don't look the same as they used to. The idols look a lot different than they used to. We think of very ancient people building uh, you know, false gods and, and starting fires and sacrificing things to these false gods. But it's the very first thing that God commands. If he's making 10 commandments to govern his people, don't you think the first ones would be pretty important? Don't have any other gods before me and be careful that you don't make yourselves any idols, no images of animals, birds, fish. Don't ever bow down. Don't ever worship. Don't ever put something above me in the place that is supposed to belong to me. That's God's first commandments. And in a modern sense, I think Romans chapter 1 explains it well. It says this, Romans chapter 1 verse 21. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. What is it saying? It's saying that people know God. We innately and instinctively look at a sunset and we go, wow, that didn't accidentally show up. God did that. We know that in our heart. But what it's saying is that they know that in their hearts, but they have not glorified God. What it means is that they haven't given God the worship that he is due. Why? That's a really important question. Why don't people give God the worship that he is due? I want you to look at someone really quick that's next to you, and say, if I'd have known you were going to look that good, I would have tried a little harder today. First of all, get that out of the way. Okay, just admit that. Okay, then second of all, second of all, I want you to look at him and say, you are an incredible worshiper. Okay, one more time. Say, you are an incredible worshiper. Now brag on yourself. Say, I am an incredible worshiper. Okay, now here's the kicker. We're all incredible worshipers. Okay, all of us, every person, actually every person alive is a perfect worshiper. The question is what or whom is your worship directed towards? Where does our worship go? That's what Romans is talking about. It says they're not glorifying God. And when you don't glorify God and you don't place him at the rightful position that your worship is supposed to be directed toward, what happens? Your heart becomes darkened. And it says these people who get dark, darkened hearts, who have idols as their gods, they lift other things up to the place that it's supposed to be reserved only for God. It says they claim to be wise, but they become fools and exchange the glory of God of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires after their, after their foolish hearts were darkened. And it says he gave them over to their sinful desires, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Their standards and their morals begin to corrupt when they begin to worship things that, as God, that are not meant to be God. And it says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. People that are choosing to serve things that were created rather than the one that created them. So here's the question. If idols exist today, 
What do they look like? What does a modern day idol look like? And here's another question I got for you. You're the only one that knows this. Are there idols in your life? You know, I mean, what, what is a modern definition of an idol? Let me ask you a quick question. You're going to have to be the one to answer this to your own heart once again. I don't, I'm not going to make you fill anything out and sign a paper. I promise I'm telling the truth. You're going to just have to tell yourself the truth. Or you can keep lying to yourself if you want to. But you can get honest today and get some freedom in your life. Is there someone you listen to and obey more than God? Is there a voice in your world or is there a voice in your life that you listen to more than you listen to the voice of God? Are there idols in your house or in your life? Are, is there someone that colors your, your worldview? Is there someone that's influencing your worldview away from Scripture? Is there, are there voices in your life that you let them in that when you hear them, you give more credence to what they say than what the Bible says? These are things that, that draw us away from God, that drive us away from God. And I'm going to tell you something. Here's the, here's the tricky part is when we think about this subject of idols, we think of these evil-looking statues. And, and, and we think we're good. We're like, I would never, I would never. And we think, and, but we don't think about sometimes idols are good things that we turn into ultimate things. Sometimes idols begin as good things. You know, career is a good thing when it's in its right place. But when you begin to worship your career and you elevate it to the ultimate thing, like when the housing market crashed in 2008 and people that own real estate lost half their Wealth, you know, people were jumping out of skyscrapers in New York City. When the stock market crashed in the 20s, people that were multimillionaires, you know, worth $100 million, lost $50 million and jumped out of a skyscraper. You're like, just give me $1 million of it, I'd be good. You got 50, dude. <laughs> Why did they jump out of a skyscraper? Because their career, they had placed it, they took something that can be good, Instead of being a good thing, it became an ultimate thing in their life. When you turn good things in your life, you know, possessions can be good things. But if it becomes the ultimate thing in your life, if, if, you know, if you get a door ding and you go into a deep depression, something's wrong with you. Okay, if, if you get a scratch on your car and you need counseling, you probably just need to get rid of that car or something. It's, it's got a grip on your life. You're worshiping your car, yo, Right? How many people know that family is a good thing? Those that didn't say amen, you're thinking about your weird uncle that talks about politics at Thanksgiving or something. You're like, ah. Come on, family's good, right? Amen? Family's great. But think about it. If you turn a good thing into an ultimate thing, it becomes a God in your life. It becomes the God of your life. There are some people that say things like, well, I couldn't live without my family. My life would be over without my family. Well, I got news for you. If there's anything in this world that defines who you are other than Jesus, you've allowed something to become an idol in your life. Here's why. John Calvin called the human heart an idol factory. He says that our heart is an idol factory. We love to take good things and turn them into ultimate things. Ezekiel 14.3, God said about the elders of Israel, it said, these men have set up idols in their hearts. 
Our hearts are the place where we take good things and turn them into ultimate things. And how do you, what do you do about it? Well, number one, you've got to identify some things in your life that have become idols. This is God's word. He commands us that we're not allowed to live this way. If we're going to live a life that's prosperous, who wants to live a life with God's hand on your life and everything you do? Who wants to have favor on your life, everything you do? Well, if we're ever going to have that, we can't allow these things to sneak into our world. And I came up with a little acrostic today uh, to, to share with you. It's idol, I-D-O-L. And uh, these are some ways that we can identify different things that become idols in our world. The I is going to stand for individualism. In our culture, people worship individualism. The message of you are who you are, be who you are. Don't let anyone ever question who you are. You shine and you do. Look, I, I think that people should be exactly who they are. And I think it's wonderful that God has made us all unique and we don't walk around like a bunch of robots. But if you are not careful, the idea of individualism, of being who we want, how we want, the way we want, it becomes twisted and to the point of right and wrong has no longer be, be, be is, is no longer a standard, but it's up to the individual to determine the way they want their life to look. What's right to you? What's wrong to you? What part of the Bible do you like? What part of the Bible do you not like? And then you begin to customize everything in your world according to your own individualism because you do what you want. And that's where you get in a situation where people no longer obey God's word. They no longer get married. They just have sex with people and their excuse is, oh, well, I love her. She loves me. And you think you're allowed to do that. And you just live your whole life and you're no longer living according to a biblical standard. Why? Because as an individual, you have just customized God. God is not a Tesla. You don't walk into a showroom and say, I want the leather seats. I want them black. I want the radio with the extra sound system. I want the spoiler on the back. No, he is not supposed to fit into your world. You are supposed to fit into his. And you're like, well, I'm here with my girlfriend and we're having sex and we're not married. You're trying to make me feel bad. No, just get married. Yeah. <laughs> Is that rocket science? I mean, if, if you're going to have sex, if you're going to do, I mean, listen, this by, if, if you're up here thinking that Pastor Jeff invented these things, well, are you kidding me? There's so many things I would throw out if it was up to me. <laughs> There's so many things I would add if it were up to me. A football day every day. I can't, I have no influence over this whatsoever. And you know what's crazy about this Bible is it hurts me every time I read it. If I'm reading it right. If you're reading it right, you go, ouch. Why do you go, ouch? Because something's wrong with you. When you say, ouch, that means something's wrong with you. And you know what? I hate shots. Is there anyone else here that hates shots when you go to the doctor? I'm 46 years old, and every time they break out that thing, I'm like, can we talk about this? <laughs> I, they're like, what are you doing? Just give me, you're, you're an old man, give me your arm. It's like, you know, get the shot, you're getting the shot. Why do I hate shots? Because they hurt a little bit, but what do they do? They heal. Yeah. See, and, and we don't like the very thing sometimes that is the thing that is going to heal us. It causes us pain to listen to the truth of the very thing that we need to heal what's wrong with us. And, and today, I'm telling you that individualism will destroy you. 
When you make individualism your God and you make it an idol in your life where your whole thing is, well, this is what I think and this is how I am and this is what I want to do and I, 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 I. You develop a non-biblical view of morality and you claim to be a Christian. I just got news for you. It, people ask me all the time, what do you think about this, Pastor Jeff? What do you think about that? Can you tell me what you think? You know what's interesting about that is what I think is not that important. Honestly, I mean, it's not what I think is not important. The only thing that is important of what I say in, in a cosmic eternal sense is if what I am saying lines up with what God says. If what I say lines up with what God says, it has life. It's got power to it. Anything else that I think is just my opinion. My opinion doesn't have the power to save anything. As a matter of fact, my opinion gets me in trouble more than it helps me typically in life. You want to stay away from my opinion. You want to get into what I know about the truth of who God says he is. So don't make individualism your God. If, and, and it's so easy to do it. Don't dismiss it. Don't be dismissive of this idea. I promise you, in this little acrostic, there's some things that are going to sting a little bit. So individualism is the I. D. That stands for deeds. Okay? Now, I'm going to speak to some religious-minded people here today. There are people that think they are so good that they deserve salvation. Okay? Look at someone next to you and say, if you're that person, you're whack. I know I just made some people mad. But the truth is, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? His, his standard is what? Is, is it pretty good? No. Is it really good? No. Is it amazingly good, but not quite? No. What is his standard? It's perfect. So you're either perfect, which there's only one person that was, and his name is Jesus, or you're imperfect, which means totally corrupt in every possible way, meaning radical corruption means every part of us as a human being is flawed. Our mind, our soul, our body, everything, all of it's flawed. So, so if you're here today and you think that you're good enough to earn salvation, I'm not trying to be mean, but you are whack. You're wrong. You're messed up. Okay, you cannot earn salvation because if you have failed a little bit, the Bible says if you've broken one part of the law, you've broken what? You've broken all of it. If you've broken one single part, you're like, well, I've never killed anyone. But you got mad at someone and you wish that they would hurt themselves. I've never cussed at someone, but you did it in your head. You used a substitution word. You're thinking in your heart. You following me here today? We're not good enough. So deeds, if you have the idea that I'm a good person, you can make your goodness an idol in your life. And I grew up around people that did that all the time. In, in the, the religious organization that we were in, the, the denomination we were in, it was a very religious kind of thing. I had people that reminded me, well, I hadn't said a cuss word since 1953. Well, give this man a cookie. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure what, how that came into the conversation, uh, but, but I mean, I, I think that's wonderful. I think that's great. 
But at the end of the day, if you think that that can earn you anything in heaven, you're wrong. And so please stop looking at your deeds and you, and, and you say, well, what does that mean? I'm not sure all these noble, wonderful things that you do. And it's great that you do good things for other people. You help people. You're kind. You fight for people that can't fight. We ought to live a life where we strive for justice. I think it is wonderful. But if you're not careful, here's the problem with thinking you're a good person. Is that philosophically, the idea that you are a good person means that there are different categories of people. So, and it means that if you are a good person, then there has to be someone that is what? A bad person. And so what that ends up meaning is you think you're a better person than someone else. But if we understand the concept that all of us are flawed, all of us are imperfect, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it is only his righteousness, his grace, and his mercy that allows us to stand strong and to have confidence in this life. It's Jesus. It's what he has done. It's not what we have done. So don't let your deeds become an idol in your life. Okay, so we got the I of individualism, the D of deeds, and O, it's kind of cheesy, but... You get the point. The O stands for opulence, okay? That's another word for wealth or for money. And I think that, you know, money is something that many people place at a high standard. Many people place it as a god or an idol in their life. And, and many times people allow money to run their lives. Uh, and, and, and money controls them. Money has power over their life. And I, I'd ask you a question today. I mean, when you chose your career, did you choose your career because God gave you a passion to do something and you knew that you were gifted and talented in that area and you said, God, I was born for this. I trust you with this and you're gonna bless me. Whatever I get, I get. You're gonna, you're gonna take care of me, but I do the thing that I'm called to. Or did you circle a profession that had a certain dollar amount? Because I'm a pastor, man. I talk to people every single week who are in careers where they make a, a lot of money, but they're not happy. Anyone, I mean, I'm not just throwing this out here. I'm just telling you, Money does not fix things in your life that are broken. In many ways, it magnifies what's already broken in your life. If you get more of it, it will cause you more trouble. Anybody ever heard, more money, more problems? Ah, who ha, who not? Tell me who rock, who sell out in the store. Tell me who stop, who cop the blue drop, who jewels got robbed, who's mostly goldly down to the tube socks. Same old, le- no, I'm sorry, I can't go there. That's in the future, that's in the future. No, that's the past, I leave it in my past in Jesus' name. I don't know what they want from me. Oh, no, don't stop. Not in church. Not in church. <laughs> so, more money, more problems. Right? Amen? If, if money becomes the God of your life, it can only help you if you've got it. And you, and you can pay for what's in front of you. But what happens when a bill comes that you can't pay? And I'm not talking about financially. What happens when you got a disease that you can't pay to fix? What happens when you got a heart that's broken and you can't fix it? What's happened is you have put something as God in your life that has no power to save you. You're worshiping a God that has no power to save you. So make sure in your life that you honor God with your money, that as you're you're analyzing where your heart is and what might be running your life or what might be an idol in your life, that you, you're honest with yourself about the, the right place, making sure that money has the right place in your life. Remember, you turn good things into ultimate things. Money can be a good thing. But if it becomes the ultimate thing in your life, if you lose it all and you feel like your life is over, something's wrong. Why? Because your God that you've worshiped has just fallen to the ground and it's fallen apart. And now the thing that you built your life on, you ain't got it. So your world is falling apart. 
Okay, then finally, L would be leisure. Okay, so, in, so we've got individualism, we've got deeds, we've got opulence, and L would be leisure. See, as I said earlier, very few people have a totem pole in their living room. But you know what? Our icons don't look, our, our idols don't look like that anymore. You know what they look like? You open up your phone and they look like icons. That's where our idols look like. And we know how to touch each idol individually. We know one idol takes us to a place and we can spend eight hours in that one place. Then we get in our car, we go to a different idol that occupies our time till we get to a work. Then we get to work and we're on break and we go to a different idol that occupies our time. What is an idol? It's a thing that takes more precedence in our life than God does. How many things in your life do you give more time, focus, and energy than Jesus? And I don't want to make people feel bad today. I want to encourage people. I want people to have hope in this room today. But I want people to be honest with themselves about whether or not you have allowed something to become a God in your life. So what do we do about it? Number one, we have to acknowledge that idols are powerless to save us. 1 Samuel chapter 5, it says the Philistines had seized the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest of God. They took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. They stole it from the children of Israel, brought it to the shrine of Dagon, who's a false god, placed it alongside the idol of Dagon. It says the next morning when the citizens of Ashdod got up, they were shocked to find the statue of Dagon toppled from its place flat on its face before the chest of God. They picked him up and put him back where he belonged. First thing the next morning, they found him again toppled and flat on his face before the chest of God. This time, Dagon's head and arms were broken off scattered across the entrance. Only his torso was in one piece. This is a perfect example of what our false gods can do for us. He had no arms. He had no head. Every idol must bow its knee to the person that is Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says the Lord's The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. In that case of Dagon, head chopped off, arms cut off, your idols can't reach out to save you, your idols can't hear you when you need help. The things that you've elevated, your individualism, you know, your deeds, your opulence, your leisure, all these things that you've worshiped in your life and elevated to a position of deity in your moment of trouble, they have no power to save you. So you have to acknowledge they're powerless to save you. You have to acknowledge that God is the source of your salvation. Okay? Number two, you got to acknowledge how dangerous they are to your destiny. Idols enslave. Idols become a God that demand you serve them. You start playing around with this thing in your life that you think is okay. And then what happens is you have this thing that grips you and it points at you and demands that you bow and worship it. So this thing you started playing with owns you. It owns your life. And then number three, you've got to acknowledge how sorrowful idols are to God. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Imagine how it breaks God's heart that we're great worshipers. We're out there worshiping all these things. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to bring condemnation to people. I'm not telling people to delete your Netflix account or something like that. But I just find it, I just find it interesting that we're able to watch something for eight hours, but we can't pray for eight minutes. 
is not okay. It's not okay with me. So what, what I'm saying is that we have to understand this hurts God. Can you imagine God? I mean, can you imagine God when God goes, you're able to spend all this time doing all these things and you can't even spend a few minutes with me. It hurts God's heart. So I want to help you discern your idols. Where does your imagination drift off to? If you just had some time to sit down and daydream, where does your mind drift to? Are you thinking about what happens when you get the promotion? Are you thinking about the house that you want to build? Are you thinking about, you know, hoping someone that you don't like, something bad happens to them? I don't know. But one, one of the ways that we can discern our idols is where our imagination goes. We don't really have an agenda wherever we drift. Are you thinking about kingdom things? Are you going, God, how can I love you more? How can I serve you more? How can I worship you more? That's good. I, I hope that's what happens. I want that to be my heart. Okay, so another way to discern, how do you spend your money? When you have extra money, after you've paid your bills, when you got money in your pocket, what do you typically want to do with it? Are you kingdom-minded? Are you a person that's thinking about ways to bless God? Or, or is it possible that a spirit of materialism, you've chosen to make materialism a God in your life, and materialism, every time you want to do something good for someone or help someone, materialism whispers to you and says, you can't do that. Remember those shoes you want? You ain't going to be able to afford them shoes if you help that person. So what happened is materialism has a grip on your life. That's why at City of Life, we say every time I give, I break the grip of materialism on my life. What happens is you say to money, you say, no, 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 I don't serve you. You serve me. And who do I serve? I serve God. So it means that you serve God. You're my money and you serve God because you serve me and I serve God. Can I get an amen from someone here today? And then finally, how do you respond when you don't get what you want? That's a good indicator of what's a God in your life. A God in your life might be control. You've might, you might have made control and power an idol in your life. And you get what you want or else you, you throw a fit. You get what you want or you get dramatic. Oh, I'm not feeling well. I'm not sick. I don't feel good. Ever since you talked to me like that, I've, I've had a fever for a week. And it's just manipulation. It's just manipulation. You might have a power problem going on. Power might be an idol in your life. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We are controlled by whatever is the Lord of our lives. Let me say that one more time. We are controlled by whatever is truly the Lord of our lives. If your philosophy is the Lord of your life, then you're going to be controlled by your philosophy. Don't be conformed to this way of thinking. I want to leave you with a story about a guy who had made money his idol. He had made power his idol. And he encountered the transformational dynamic love of Jesus and instantly he took an idol in his life that he served and he turned it into a means to serve Jesus just like that. Luke chapter 19 this man's name was Zacchaeus it says there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and he was rich tax collectors in that time crooked tax collectors at that time manipulated people 
people that owed them $100, they'd say, you're gonna pay me $200, and if you tell anyone, I'll have you thrown in jail. He got rich by very questionable and sketchy tactics. It says Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd because he was so small in stature. So he ran and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he sees Zacchaeus standing in this tree. What does he see in Zacchaeus? He sees somebody that's messed up. He sees somebody that's serving false gods. He's got idols in his life. He's got things that are gripping gripping him. He's got things that are all out of order. He's got control issues. He's got power issues. He's got money issues. But you know what Jesus sees? In the middle of all those problems, this dude is looking for me right now. He's trying to see me a little better today. So I got news for you today. It don't matter how jacked up your life seems to you. You're in a place called church today. And I believe that you're here looking for Jesus today. And I believe anytime you position yourself to look a little closer at Jesus, a miracle is right around the corner for you. And it says, Jesus came to that place and he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Come down from what? Come down from your false gods. Come down from the idols that have taken the place of me. You don't have to be up there. Come down on my level. Stop getting up where you are. Come down right here where I am because I want to love you just like you are. And it says, come down for I must stay today at your home. Oh, this caused a lot of controversy. It says he hurried and came down and received him. And when the people saw it, they began to grumble and say, he is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They're thinking, you don't know this guy, Jesus. He's jacked up. He serves false gods. He's got an idol in his life. It's called money. You don't want anything to do with him. And look what Zacchaeus did. All Jesus said was, come here. Come here. I want to hang out with you. That's it. He didn't preach the gospel to him in in a little three-point message. He said, come here. I want to hang out with you. And look what Zacchaeus did. It says, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to give them back four times as much. A 300% increase on what I took for them. And what did Jesus say when Zacchaeus proved that his heart had been touched and his life had been changed by the one true living God. What did Jesus say when Zacchaeus offered to give half of what he has to the poor, pay people back four times what he took for them? Did he go, no, dude, you don't have to do any of that, man. It's about relationship. That's religion. This is relationship. Did Jesus say that? No, actually what he said is Jesus goes, you get it. You get it. That's called a turnaround. That's called repentance. That's called I was going one way and now I'm going the other. Today, salvation has come to this house because I see in you that you have taken your God that had no power to save you, that made you serve him, and you have torn him down and placed me in the rightful position. And now the thing that used to demand that you serve it It serves you because you serve me. That is a story of redemption. You know what story that is? 
That's your story. We hope you enjoyed this teaching by Pastor Jeffrey Smith. You can be a part of what God is doing here at City of Life by clicking give at www.col.tv or by texting a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. Thanks for joining us.